What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Sapira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. Uh, I'll tell you why. Look, I'm not a weightlifter. I'm Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. And my apologies for getting this episode out a little bit late this week. It's just dealing with a bunch of nonsense. So I will try and do better. And before we start, I want to remind everyone to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and especially Patreon at Death Row Diaries, where you will get bonus episodes not otherwise available. So let's jump into this episode, Bill. This is Arthur Shawcross, also known as the Genesee River Killer. This is a really bad guy. Yeah, definitely a bad guy. And he kind of looks the part too. 300 pound guy, just a pathological liar, a freaking, like this guy's bad. I, I, I was reading, really trying to figure this guy out and there's a lot of layers to this guy but he is really in just a complete waste of a human life and unfortunately he ran across a number of people that he made into victims yeah kind of well we'll get into it but he he had a couple separate times where he was killing and unfortunately he got out of prison after the after killing a couple kids but we'll get into that yeah he yeah it's when sometimes you wonder how a person who murders uh, children is able to get out of prison and some yahoo uh, basically said that he didn't find him to be dangerous anymore which look is, if you guys have been listening to me you know, I've said this a million times. Uh, there is no rehabilitation from child molesters or child rapists or serial killers. There is no redemption. There is no rehabilitation. And it seems that these experts can't get it down or get it through their heads. And you have guys like this who are born uh, and do the things that they do. So, yeah, let's start from the very beginning, Matt. Um, this guy was born in 1945. He was born in Kittery, Maine. I hope I got that name. You know, I pronounce names all jacked up. But uh, from very early on, you know, this this guy was. Which you, you're not going to confuse this guy with a rocket scientist. Not very intelligent. You know, a bedwetter. Uh, he was made fun of by his peers. Like almost, this is an excuse for his behavior later on. Um, 
you know, they called him Odie. I guess like Oki or some guy that's not very dumb, a redneck maybe, or a person who just doesn't have it together. But, um, you know, he's a bully. Although people picked on him, he really was a bully, Matt. He is one of those guys that he acts out violently. He's a big kid. He's not little by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, pathological liar. And not a whole lot in his childhood that you would say, you know, this is a definite example of a person who, because of his environment, he turned into a monster. Well, he claims all kinds of stuff about his childhood, but we've seen that before and that it's it's an excuse or it can be and then it's like self-reported and it just goes down as the truth. So I don't know if he was abused sexually by his mom and his aunt, but that's what he says. Yeah, he says that he's at age seven and this is obviously after he's been caught years down the line when he's an adult and he has all of these so-called abuses that have happened to him and it's he doesn't say look this is the reason i did this but this is how serial killers kind of in a way justify or add logic to why they do what they do you know none of them are going to tell you well for the most part at least not candidly that look there's an impulse they can't help themselves they have to do this they want to do this it gives them great gratification they usually say well you know there's an excuse as, as you mentioned we've heard it before we've seen it before he says his mother started oral copulating him at seven years of age and then he says that as a junior high school kid he and his sister were engaged in sexual intercourse weekly you know again i don't see how that translates to listen, I'm going to start murdering and raping children and becoming a serial killer. That, it doesn't make any sense. And those who believe that's a, you know, like that's the cornerstone of being a serial killer, you know, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. These guys are bad guys and they're born that way. And this guy, you know, it's a pretty good example of a person that evolves. As his gratification grows, he changes and prison does have a bit of, uh, it kind of solidifies their awareness. And I'll get into that right now. So let's talk about high school with this guy. Not a popular guy. He had girlfriends, you know, he's not, you know, Quasimodo. And, you know, by the age of the ninth grade, he, he drops out. You know, he's 16 years old, so he failed a couple of years, couldn't get past it whether he was ditching or just not a bright guy, doesn't really matter. He drops out of high school, and there's a, a, a bit of a, a, a stretch there, Matt. There, there isn't a lot of hurt about from him. He's, you know, getting involved in a few things. He's lighting fires. You know, again, we don't have proof of this, uh, but we have, you know, a little bit of... Uh, of things that happened before he was drafted into the army. Uh, you know, small, petty things, nothing major. But as I've mentioned a number of times, serial killers are usually groping around the dark, trying to figure out who they really are. And this guy begins to do it later in life, more than early. He plays around, but he doesn't really get to the meat of it till later. 
So, again, 1961 to 1967, not a whole lot there. He gets into little things, but he's drafted into the um, to the army, and you know this is where he's opinion about himself begins to grow his ego he likes to uh, people to believe he's more than he really is uh, so he goes into the army he's already married and he abandons his 18 month old child goes to Vietnam he is on duty with the 4th supply and transport company of the 4th infantry division in Vietnam that sounds like some important stuff, okay? Let me translate. He was a guy involved with bringing supplies to the guys who were actually in combat. Okay, Matt? I'm sure that gets you to smile and chuckle, but that's who he was. He was a taxi car driver. Yeah. Right. And then he begins to lie about his combat experience, which is... Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, this is the perfect time. He comes back, he's running around, he wants people to think, look, I went over there and took care of business. I am this big, bad killer. I am a, a war hero. The truth is, you know, well, according to him, he had 39 enemy kills in combat. He said he, he beheaded his, um, his enemy. Um, you know, he did his part for his country. And that he actually ate pieces of his enemy. This is just, you know, good old boy talk. You know, this is the guys comparing their dick size in a bar. Well, here's the truth. He never saw action. This is from commanding officers in that particular infantry that state he never saw combat. The only combat that he saw was in his dreams and in his mind. There was nothing else there. Yeah, and, you know, that sounds like something that may have been somewhat common, but the more you think about it, the grosser it is, because he's bragging about killing civilians, but it also seems very disrespectful to the, you know, the guys that actually were in combat, and it's it's just... It's much stranger than just it seems on the surface level to me. Well, it's, it's a guy that he's trying to make up for his deficiencies. And it doesn't say he's a steerer. Absolutely not. Yeah, but he does return from Vietnam unharmed, not shot. And he's stationed at Fort Sill in Oklahoma. Now, he's already left his first wife. He has a second wife. So, look, this guy is not, you know, unable to speak to women. He is not the guy that is so terribly looking that he can't convince a woman to go out with him. But, you know, she begins to experience this violence towards her. And, you know, she describes that he has like an obsession with lighting fires and, you know, this is where things get really funny because I see these red flags and I'm thinking, you know, these guys would have said something. Look, if a person's able to do what he does, that is a big red flag. 
This is what he's able to do that a psychiatrist saw while he was in Vietnam. And he states that Shawcross, which is his name, the monster of the rivers, is able to draw pleasure from setting fires, sexual favors, or I mean, some sexual uh, gratification or pleasure from lighting fires. Now, if you remember correctly, Matt, I've been talking about this, and, I, and I've been saying that serial killers are actually able to sexualize control or sexualize certain acts. That makes them very unique. It makes their brains wired very uniquely. You don't learn that because your mother is oral copulating you at seven years of age. You don't learn that by having sex with your sister at 11 or whatever it was, the story he made up. This is the way these particular insects are wires. And there you have a psychiatrist coming out of left field in 1970 saying, hey, this guy is able to do this. That would have been a huge marker for me, you know, I mean, you can't just take a person and stick them in a cell because they have these markers. But it's a really good reason to really observe them because it doesn't take them long to begin acting out. Let me call you, Matt, Ed, back, and then we'll uh, continue with this. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hey, Matt. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that everyone kind of likes a fire, you know, a bonfire, a campfire, burning man, all these things, but to get sexually aroused from it, I don't see any way that that's learned behavior. That's something that's ingrained, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and look, you know, we, it's like I've, I've talked about this so many times and, and I really want the audience to pay attention to our, our earlier episodes when I really start pointing the finger at where these guys grow, how they become, who they become. And, and this guy, there's it's a classic case of exactly that. So listen, he discharges from the army and he moves to Clayton, New York. And shortly after that, his wife, his second wife divorces him. He then gets into trouble. He's lighting fires, he's committing burglaries, and they catch him. He gets a stint in the state penitentiary at Attica and Auburn prison for five years. He basically serves a year and 10 months and he gets out because he saves or rescues a correctional officer during a riot. He's granted an early release and now he's out. So let's talk about this time in prison. You know how people who normally commit crimes early on when they're immature, then later on they get older, they do a bit of self-reflection, and they say, hey, you know, if you're normal, I've made some mistakes, I cause harm, uh, it's time for me to pay amends to society, I owe a debt, Those, that's self-reflection. There's another side to that conversation, and I've, and I've, sp- I've spoken about this a number of times on different uh, shows with different cases, where a prisoner, a convict, a, well, not a convict, I'm sorry, an inmate, we know the difference between an inmate and a convict, but they go to prison for whatever crime. He spent about a year and eight to a year and 10 months in prison. What is he doing? 
We know that he sets fires and he gets off on it. But he is this time in prison where he's by himself. He has time to reflect. He's beginning to figure out who he is. He's not exactly sure, but he's beginning to figure out that he is a killer and he likes to kill. It's a fantasy. It's, it's in his mind. He's getting his images. He's beginning to fantasize about it, but he hasn't really honed in what he wants to do. So he gets out on, um, um, and shortly after, on May 7th, 1972, he lures a 10-year-old young boy by the name of Jack Blake into the, a wooded area where he then rapes him, strangles him, beats him, and discards his body. Now, I don't know about you, but that spells pedophile. He's a pedophile. So we look at this case and we say, shit, this guy's really easy to figure out. He's a child abuser. He's a sexual predator. Pedophile. Why did he start now when he gets out of prison? Well, let's, let's go back to what I said. He was reflecting in prison. He was figuring out who he was. He was groping around the dark. Now he knows he's a killer. He hasn't really figured out exactly what he is. So, a few, well, not, not more, and very soon after, in the same month of September, she, a young girl is found. It's, her name is Karen Hill. She's eight years old. And again, raped, suffocated. Grass is stuffed into her nose and mouth. She is discarded under a bridge spanning the Black River. Well, he becomes a suspect right away. He's been known in the town to slap boys on the ass, stuff grass down kids' pants, and the day of the murder of this young girl, he is seen right there at the river where she is found eating an ice cream. So he's arrested the following month. He stalls for about two weeks before confessing to both murders, the murder of Jake Blake, Jack Blake, I'm sorry, and Karen Hill. So a bargain is struck. He, to, to cop to Karen's murder, there are no charges against him for the boy's uh, murder. And he receives a sentence, which you would think would be a lot of more time, 25 years to life for first degree manslaughter. He's in prison. He's thinking, he's reflecting, He's reliving the murders. He's beginning to become the man he's going to become. Think of a moth. Think of a butterfly in a cocoon. Aside, these killers are not beautiful, but he's cocooned now. He's thinking again. He's metamorphosing into the man he's going to become or the killer he's going to become. And, of course, um, psychiatrists begin to say, well, hey, he's not dangerous to society. We deem them to be not dangerous. And Matt, in 1987, they release him. 
Right. This guy who raped and killed two young children. I mean, yeah, in, in a what guy who killed? In what world is he not dangerous? I mean, how could you even discern that from talking to him? Just look at his resume. Well, you can't. And you cannot rehabilitate a child molester, a sexual predator, uh, a rapist, a serial killer. You can't do it. They could have castrated him, and he still would have killed because you have to understand that rape is not about sex. It's about violence. But it's a mental thing. It's something they have to get. Even if he cannot perform sexually, he still will kill. So if you castrate him, it doesn't make a difference. And I know there's going to be psychiatrists out there tooting the horn that they could cure these guys by, by castrating them, and there's no problem. Bullshit. These are the same clowns who let this guy out saying that he wasn't dangerous. They let him out. He can't find living. And by the way, he's not ready to get married again to a third woman. They're trying to get him hotels. The towns know who this guy is. They won't accept him. They know what he is, and they don't want him there. So he bounces around a little bit, trying to get himself into a housing, into housing somewhere, and he finally gets it. And look, it doesn't take him long. As I said, he was fantasizing in prison. He was beginning to figure out who he was. Now he knows who he is. And he's going to act on those impulses. We see it happen, God, really, basically, immediately. So on March 15th, 1988, the body of 27-year-old Dorothy Blackburn is found. She has deep bite marks around her genitalia. Uh, she is a sex worker. She's a drug addict, and she specializes in, from in oral sex. And it just continues. We have a guy who, within moments of that, really, because he only killed until he got caught for almost a year and a half to two years. From that moment, he turns into a vicious predator that's killing often, and he's extremely violent. But now he's not killing kids, which makes it a little bit hard to understand. And if you'd like, I explain it to you, Matt, but he's now killing prostitutes that are overage, no longer kids. Yeah, so that does seem atypical for one of these guys yeah well as I said you first believe he's a pedophile and he does do that so it makes him a pedophile for killing two children and what he did to them the sexual abuse the assault but now he gets out and he's killing prostitutes that are in their 20s and 30s he has rethought and he, now he understands where he gets the most pleasure his impulses are pushing him, and that's why he's killing prostitutes. Well, we catch him again. On September 11th, 1989, they find the body of another 27-year-old sex worker named Anna Stephan. And, uh, you know, he picked her up, 
He took her to the Genesee River Gorge. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Matt. Um, and he takes her near that bridge. It's called the Driving Park Bridge. And, you know, he again, this is, he tries to control, uh, to control the narrative by when he gets caught, admitting to what he did and how he did it. And there's always an excuse. She bit me. She haggled about the money. She said that she would do it, do certain acts for this much money, and she did. He got in an argument, and I killed her. So he kills her, and he goes on. This next month, Dorothy Keeler. She's actually 59 years old. He kills her. He does it again. Another 25-year-old girl on September 29, 1989. And it really continues. He kills... 13 women in less than a year and a half and he just continued and he began to pick up pace you know and i've talked about how serial killers they're chasing a rush it's an adrenaline rush that the brain produces with all dopamine and adrenaline and it's like a, the rush of an athlete when he jumps out of a plane or he surfs a large wave it's that adrenaline he's chasing he murders francine brown in 1989 he marries Maria Welsh, June St- um, Stolt, or Slots, Elizabeth Gibson, Darlene Trippy, June, and I'm going to mess up this last name, Cicero. And he just, it's incredible, this guy's pace and how long he went till he got arrested. Yeah. In the span of a month, he murdered um, like six, seven women. Well, yeah, he killed a total of 13 people, but it's these sex workers that he really focuses on, and he kills between 11. You know, this serial killer, I believe he actually killed the number that he's accused of. Some of the guys I've talked about that they have other kills after, a little bit before, that the law enforcement can never tie to them. Well, this guy's MO was pretty much the same. Um, it, it changed from the first time he began to kill because he was killing children, and then he went to sex workers. But this guy pretty much, once he developed who he was, he stuck to his, his MO. And I believe that he really did kill no more than 15 but it's between 13 and about 15 uh people that's i think is is a not only a logical but a pretty hard number for him right no i I just meant that in like towards the end he was going at a very rapid pace yeah no absolutely There, there was a bit of um of debate there was different counties that were, you know, all of the people that he killed were actually, the 11 murders were in the Rochester area. There was another murder in Monroe County, um, and a detective argued that it wasn't him because the, the, the modus operandi, which is the MO, um, was a bit different. I disagree. So let me call you back. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hey, Matt. 
Yeah. So there was some confusion as to the last victim. Well, not, not actually the last one. It was, so as I mentioned, the majority and all of his victims were in uh, the Rochester area. And look, the truth is that they convicted him of 11 murders, 11 more murders. His, there was a 12th victim. Her name was Elizabeth Gibson. She was found on um, December, on, I'm sorry, November the 27th, 1989. Now, the reason they couldn't attribute that kill to him was because sometimes you have law enforcement that rely very heavily on the MO. And they think, well, you know, this case is a little bit different. The MO is slightly different. It's not the same guy. And I, <laughs> I've talked about this before. The MO changes, can change. The killer can change his method. You know, method he kills, the way he kills, the way he stalks. He can grow, he can get better, he can refine his system, or he can try new things. What normally doesn't change is the signature. That's what, that's what he has to do to get himself off. So, um, on this case, because the MO was a bit different, uh, they didn't attribute that murder to him. But he is the killer of Elizabeth Gibson. No doubt about that. And his last victim, um, the way they caught him was that they actually saw him by aerial surveillance that he was actually standing by the bridge where um, he was standing by the bridge over a creek called the Salmon Creek. It was very near to where uh, June Cicero's body was found and he was there urinating over it. Now, remember when we first started talking about this guy, that he was also seen near the body of a young child, a young girl, that he murdered, beat, and raped. And he was eating an ice cream near the bridge or on the bridge. Well, here you have him again doing something similar. It's not eating ice cream, but he's urinating right next to her body off of a bridge. He's a creepy guy, man. Yeah, sort of uh, reliving his crime, I guess, or, or what, desecrating the sure. scene? Yeah, absolutely. The body was there. Um, you know, he wanted to get a, a last moment around it. You know, it really depends on on the killer and what he's doing, what he's thinking. We can't specifically say, well, he was thinking this. Anybody who says they can is, well, they lost their freaking mind. But um, he went back to the location where he murdered her. The body wasn't there when he was urinating. But he was reliving that moment. It was, it was a couple of weeks after. Why would he be there urinating? He was there urinating because, he, again, he was reliving the moment. He went back for that. Yeah. So his whole operation wasn't very sophisticated. He would just troll, try and find prostitutes, and uh, unfortunately murder them. So the word started kind of getting around as the as the victims piled up that uh, 
you know, the, there was this one guy out here doing this. So unfortunately it did take them a while, but you know, it wasn't a very sophisticated operation. So that's how he got caught. Right. Well, yeah, he got caught because they, they, they saw him by the body, where the body was discovered and they arrested him. And look, it didn't take long. He's arrested in January 5th, 1990, by November 1990, he's going to trial. And, you know, he's, he's pleading not guilty by reasons of insanity. Um, he has a psychiatrist that comes in, testifies he has brain damage, multiple personality disorder. Uh, he suffered post-traumatic stress disorder from being in war and had been sexually abused as a kid. These are all excuses. He also claims that he has a separate internal personality called Bessie. And when he killed, that's why uh, he killed, because Bessie went taking over his body. And seriously, man, that's just ridiculous. You know, even the prosecutions, uh, or they actually had an FBI profiler come in. His name is Robert uh, Ressler. And you know he wrote specifically, this guy's full of it. He's a pathological liar never saw wartime, did not suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. This guy's making it up as he goes along. He killed because he wanted to kill. He killed kids, went to prison, refined his, uh, what get, got him off, and he started killing prostitutes because that's what he wanted to do. There's no excuse for it. There's no redemption from it. There's no rehabilitation from it. They put him, placed him in prison. He went to prison. He did not get the death penalty. But because he was so overweight, you know, he suffered um, a massive coronary and died. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I think he also claimed to have a brain tumor at one point. And, you know, it's interesting that he never claimed to have this multiple personality when he was pleading down to killing the two children. He never mentioned it then, right? No, he didn't. He didn't mess him. He didn't mention Bessie, and I guess Bessie was a child molester and then turned into a, just a regular serial killer. Um, look, all these things that I said, it, it, it probably wasn't him that thought of. He's not very bright. His defense team probably sat down and said, "Okay, we have to defend him to the best of our ability. Let's come up with a story here." Um, they sentenced him to 250 years to life. He lived to November the 10th, 2008, when uh, he suffered a heart attack and died this guy's not spectacular i know a lot of people that listen to our show and listen to other true crime shows are are very interested because serial killers have been portrayed as these geniuses of crime that are that appear at night and disappear into the darkness that's all hogwash these guys get caught because the majority of them are not very smart um they are vicious. They're very difficult to catch because they don't know the victims. For the most part, when someone's murdered, I think it's something like 80-some percent of the time, the victim knows the killer. With these guys, it's like a needle in the haystack. They're out patrolling the streets. They kill someone. They dump a body. It's very difficult to figure out who did it, especially a woman who's a sex worker, and they have multiple clients every night. It's very difficult to figure out who did it takes a while sometimes. DNA, other things. However, with this guy, 
didn't take all that. As I said, not a very sophisticated guy. Standing on the bridge where you just killed a person and they just discovered her body urinating off of it is not a smart move. No, it's not very glamorous either. No, it's not. And he's a grotesque individual. I mean, guys, look at this picture. This guy has a head like a freaking, like a billy goat. He's um, just a, a piece of garbage. That's what he is. Like, I don't have any words for this stuff. This guy, we're doing him because one of our viewers, I mean, one of our listeners asked us to do this case. Subscribe to our page and or to our, our podcast that we'll do everything we can to review the cases that interest you and Matt this is one of those cases right yeah yeah I wanted to touch on something real quick which uh, when going back to the beginning of the episode you were talking about how he was starting the fires and being sexually aroused by that and as you're aware but yes. in all this literature um that's often a symptom of you know a serial killer or a budding serial killer as well as killing animals but always the bedwetting and he was you know affected by that but i just can't think of a scientific explanation of what bedwetting has to do with becoming a murderer well it doesn't you know and we do understand that sometimes that is a symptom of anxiety. Um, a lot of people suffer that particular aim, especially boys when they're young. They could be anxious about school. They could be anxious about a test. They could be anxious about a number of things. It also can mean that they are being abused or something. But there, that isn't the pathway of all circles. There are probably millions of boys that wet their beds to the ages to be you know, teenagers and pre-teenagers, they don't turn into murderers or serial killers. That really has nothing to do with that. It could be that his, um, he had a urinary tract, a urinary tract infection. He, it could mean that uh, he, he drank too much water uh, and he didn't want to get out of bed. He was lazy. It can mean a lot of different things. You know, sometimes when you're half asleep, you think you're getting up but you're really not getting up to use the bathroom and you urinate. This is often something, some of the cases with young boys. I would not attribute that if your child is wetting his bed, that he's going to be a serial killer. Or that every kid that lights fires becomes a serial killer. It's not about that. It's a red flag, but it's not something for sure. Yeah. Well... I guess that's a bit it for Arthur Shawcross. He was married three times. I've been married none, although I'm not looking. But that's kind of depressing just in and of itself. Well, we also have to look at the quality of people that married this guy. <laughs> this guy was an abusive husband. He was... But you, if you look hard enough, if you know what you're looking for, you're going to see most of the signs. These women, probably not the smartest people in the world, he convinced them to marry him. He became very abusive and they left. Good for them that they left this guy because I can see a scenario where they became expendable to him and he decided to kill one of them. 
Luckily for them women, he did not turn their attention to him. I mean, he did not turn the attention to them. Instead, and again, unfortunately, he went after sex workers, which is a, a lot of the case with these guys. And he killed 12 of them before he was apprehended. Yeah, I'm looking on, I just pulled up the Wikipedia and there's a picture of him with his daughter and granddaughter who looks like she's about... I don't know, 13 or 14 in the photo. So that's really creepy and troubling, but... Um. Yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely creepy. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I would bring my teenage daughter to see that guy, but... Or son, for that matter. Right. We'll be back next week. Appreciate it as always. Until then, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William McGarrow. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life can depend on it. We'll see you next time.